the 10 CIA deception maxims and the most interesting news of the week. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. It's great weather outside, finally. Although it's snowing up in Colorado, I hear. The Braves game got canceled today. So it maybe, you know, maybe spring's not here permanently yet. Well, I love spring. I'm ready for spring. The weather's getting weird. It makes me, <laughs> it makes my conspiracy sense tingle. I'm like, I don't know. I just, it depresses me. I can't look in the sky without being like, I don't remember that when I was a kid. <laughs> so anytime it's like the weather is good or bad, I'm like, you know what? I used to be like, God, it's good. Look at the great weather. I'm just like, you know what? Some, I don't even know. I don't even know if God's giving us the weather anymore. Now it's like somebody in a room somewhere is turning it to 80 degrees. <laughs> the, the Wizard of Oz. There's a big thermostat that controls the, the outside weather. <laughs> oh, I don't know. The Wizard of Oz really is a great metaphor for... I love that she fell asleep in the poppy. Like, that was something I didn't realize. That Alice in Wonderland has all the drug references, too. And then you start, if you really dig into that stuff, you get to where the occult uh, symbolism in those kids' movies, I just, or who, That's like, crazy. wrote them science fiction. Is, uh, some of the greatest writers were deep into military intelligence. Just takes the fun out of everything. It's almost like <laughs> everyone, the scales yeah. back on my eyes. Everyone who writes a kids' movie, it's like they were on acid at the time of writing it with some of these hidden messages. Well, I mean, I used to think that it was just some trippy dude or whatever, and now I'm, I'm thinking it's subversion. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it makes where you can't even enjoy this stuff. Like people are. Somebody on the show recently told me to watch the movie Deja Vu with Denzel Washington, which is was like a. An older movie, actually, at least 10 years old. And it was totally engaging, but it was about a terrorist attack and military heroes and, um, I don't know, some, it just, the whole thing was overlaid on this message of domestic terrorism. And the guy was supposedly a patriot. It was kind of OKC more than white nationalism. Timothy McVeigh more than whoever the like New Zealand guy was. But still I try to enjoy these things and I and knowing that they're really the fundamental message is is an agenda, if not outright propaganda. It just takes the fun out of it. I did enjoy the movie though, but it it does I kind of I I'm no fun to go to the movies with anyone. Yeah, that's I what I was about that. to say. I have a hard time watching movies with people because they just get annoyed about halfway through. It's so annoying. I'm annoying. I annoy <laughs> myself. I'm like saying to my husband, like, this is just ridiculous. Like, could you just shut up? I just want to know what happens next. I'm like, I'll tell you what happens next. You know? <laughs> I can guess that. Clearly that is the hero and that is the villain. Anyway. Well, there has been a CIA Hollywood office for a long time. Movies were definitely a primary target for propagandists. Edward Bernays, basically, you can hear hear his glee in talking about how easily you can manipulate people using what at the time was the new mass communications medium of film. So it's not like there's not some truth to what we're saying here. Oh, I think that I, I would say it was created. It's like when you see big tech or robots, or all this kind of research and everything that comes, you can trace it back to government grants or public universities or uh, DARPA research. And it's it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that it shapes our opinions and changes the world. 
Absolutely. So I feel like it came from that, that there had to have been some structure, some policy, maybe even some investment or war effort, like, right, war propaganda. Maybe the war did so much to change our world on purpose. If you listen to Nor, what was his name? The guy who who revealed that the Carnegie Endowment came out and... uh, um decided that the best way to change society was to foment war. And, oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Jedra Griffith did his that hour-long interview with him. And, and they said that's how they were going to change the world was through war. And, that, and the propaganda, the shaping of the thoughts, like you always think they use it for war. And I wonder if they use war to develop propaganda techniques. Oh, yeah. They, they definitely tested a lot, especially during World War One. once the world was getting more connected with a means of mass communications. They, that was like a big experimental battleground of propaganda. And Bernays and others talk about how much America learned from that and how they applied it to government as well as business for decades on end after that. So you know, the businesses, the corporations could financially capitalize off of it and the government – you know, they basically capitalize the same way. They both get rich and they both gain power. Right. Right. And then what annoys me about it is that we pay for it yeah. on the front end pay for the our taxes. Own yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like paying for your own brainwashing. It's when I watch cable news, I'm like uh, – and then they give me a commercial. I'm like, really? I'm supposed to pay for this That is exactly what anyone who buys or pre-orders a copy of the Washington Post version of the Mueller report is doing. They're paying for their own brainwashing. Right, For so, and they're paying for something that's free or should be or that we paid for already. I'm pretty we sure it's going to be free. But we paid for it. Yeah. Right? Already, so what? Yeah, Who's exactly. selling it to the Washington Post and I want my money back? It's Norman Dodd, I believe the guy's name is. Sorry, I forgot. Dodd. Uh, you're talking Norman about the Dodd, Dodd report. I'm talking about Norman Dodd, who was the researcher for the Reese Commission. Mm, yeah. So anyway, just sorry. Everybody's going to be like, you don't remember that name? I'm telling you the name just in case people want to listen to it because it's an hour long. And he talks about how the endowments foment war to change the culture and society. So, Well, I think a document I want to quickly go through today is, is going to go well with that. There's a lot of talk in the media and from politicians about how we need to trust our intelligence sources, how our intelligence sources said this or that. They said there was Russian interference, whatever. Depending on whatever the intelligence source says and whichever side it happens to benefit at that time, that side is telling us we need to trust our good men and women in our intelligence operations. I want to go through 10 CIA deception maxims that come from a 1980 CIA research document called Deception Maxims, Fact and Folklore, and I think it will shed some light on the way that the intelligence agencies think that I think is good to keep in mind when you're watching the news. You're seeing people like John Brennan or you're seeing people like Clapper that are doing interview after interview on networks, promoting books and spreading propaganda. I think it really, really tells you how to evaluate what they're saying because what they're saying is purely propaganda. And I would I would add that people like Jim Comey and Bill Barr and Robert Mueller – who have all been in the FBI and the Department of Justice and all that, they're absolutely of the same – You know, they're in on it. 100 yeah. percent. So to, to, it's Project Mockingbird, Mockingbird all over again when you see all these officers in the news. And I know that they haven't been 
featured as much lately because of the Mueller report, but they'll be back. They'll be back. You can't watch CNN without the panel being uh, two former CIA agents and a former FBI intelligence officer. So there, was, it's, there was one for Fox who was an absolute fraud. Do you remember that? It didn't get a lot of publicity, but... Vaguely. He, yeah. I mean, so, yes, we know who Brennan and Clapper are, but but we don't know who most of the other guys are. Yeah, that's true. Some of them aren't as open about it. All right. Maxim number one. A lot of these are going to be familiar. The Exploitation of Preconceptions. Sorry. Can you tell me the title of this and the date also once more? The title of the document is CIA Intelligence Agency Research Paper, Deception Maxims, Fact and Folklore. And who wrote – does it say like anything else on that, that front page, like a subtitle or who wrote it, who authored this is it? April 1980. Like I think Bill Casey was the – CIA guy back then, if I'm not The mistaken. person who writes the – oh, that's just like the response to the FO, Freedom of Information right. Act request. Right. Who made the FOIA request? Does it say? doesn't say. I'm just – you know, I like to sometimes know where this stuff comes from because if we're seeing it – you know, I always think about the limited hangout or whatever, but that's okay. Plus, I just wanted to understand exactly what we were hearing. All right, let's yeah, it doesn't have a specific author. Yeah, that's right. Okay, maximum number one: the exploitation of preconceptions. It is generally easier easier to induce an opponent to maintain a pre-existing belief than to present notational evidence to change that belief. Thus, it may be more fruitful to examine how an opponent's existing beliefs can be turned to advantage than attempt to alter those views. That's genius. I think we were, I uh, addressed a caller, Jeffrey, on Saturday, who was saying just how much racial hatred there was in his house and uh, that when Reagan was shot, he they hoped that he would die. Like he didn't yeah. even want to – and I immediately asked. I was like, was – did your family experience trauma that made, you know, that was directed to this hatred? And he said, yeah. And I, and that's the problem. I mean, this is the legacy of that kind of trauma, but it is exploited rather than, uh, you know, they don't try to heal it. They try to exploit it. And that's, and that's in, sinister. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of a it, improvisational theater mindset because it, you use the energy that's there instead of trying to work against it. So if someone believes something and you know they're going to believe it, then how can you use that energy to reach whatever goal you want to reach in, instead of trying to change it? So it, it requires big and picture I bet planning. That, I bet that folds into that mimetic warfare where where our government tries to enhance dysfunctional subcultures in other countries – they exploit those people's weaknesses, you know, prejudices or ignorances or whatever. And not only does it make that subculture easier to exploit, but it makes it more plausible that those people are highly dangerous. Yeah, and we can see that in the news too on the left and right. I think the question is there if they're trying to they're trying to they're using these very powerful emotions that the left and right are having they expect them to have these reactions so how are they using these reactions they know they're going to have they're amplifying them so how are they using them to achieve their goals whatever those specific goals may be 
Right. And it's interesting. I just, I don't want to belabor this one, but it is really interesting that they exploit the preconception, they exploit the group, they enhance the dysfunctional subculture, which makes those people, the target, a tool. But the reaction, of course, I mean, the classic dialectic thing, the Mm -hmm. reaction and the people who are reacting and how they react is also a target and a tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when they're on both sides, like you look at the CIA in the 60s, where supposedly they wanted the Vietnam War, and maybe, you know, one theory is probably that JFK was killed because he he might have ended that war. But on the other hand, uh, others suggest that they were behind the anti-war movement. Gloria Steinem said she was related to the CIA. Didn't they militarize or militantize whatever or arm the Black Panthers and then react to them? So it you can yeah. see what you're saying helps me understand a little better how they're always they they so so many of the deeper stuff I've read it puts the CIA on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to benefit from both of them, it, you know, they play both sides, right? And know what the bankers do too? They fund both sides. Oh, yes. Well, they do it for the just I mean, that's what you see is what you get. They like war because war burns stuff up. I mean, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, they could have built if you go to England and you see the brick houses that say like I'll have a cornerstone that'll say 1600 and something. And I'll look and I'll say, you know, really all the houses basically should have been built already. And you're like, we should be able to just give each other massages at this point and not have to like build houses. But wars bur- burn them down, you know, and then you got to build more. And then who, yeah. you know, burning stuff up, the broken window theory, like only a banker can think that makes sense. Yeah. It goes on to say, if actors tend to perceive what they expect, then these expectations furnish greater leverage to a deception plan, a form of mental jujitsu. Hold on. I, I, can you summarize that? Can you paraphrase that? I'm not following it or repeat it. If people, if people perceive what they expect they're going to see, so if they yeah. see what they think they're going to see, then these yeah. expectations give the deceiver greater leverage to deceive them. So if they're easy to predict, right? Then they can use what they okay, know they're yes, going to do. Okay, yes, that's the same point. Right? Yeah, okay. and and then it says he puts this in an interesting way here. All cover plans should be based on what the enemy himself not only believes but hopes for. I think that's pretty. Oh interesting yes, thing. that is another thing that Jeffrey said. Actually, he was talking about the Jesse Smollett thing, and he said. What I have said for years, I mean, I noticed this when I was a teenager. If you have to make stuff up, it's not really a problem. Yeah. And, and, but people, so let's take it to what you're saying. Everybody wants to believe it on both sides. The people who believe Jesse Smollett and the people who believe the cops are all people who were all ready to believe that. Whereas you and I are just like, I don't know if he did it. You know, like yeah. I expect this to, to lob back and forth a couple of times, like with the Mueller report. And be like, this is what it's going to say. This is what Barr is going to say. And we were just like, mm, I think it's going to lob back and forth a few times. Yeah, yeah. It is really interesting to think about it. It forces you to kind of step back and think about it from a broad perception, perceptive, perceptive perspective that these reactions that they know people are going to have are not just expected. They are the basis of the deception plan. What do you mean? 
It says all all plans should be based on what the enemy not believes, but hopes oh, for. So oh, they I hope see. for okay. this to happen. Okay. We we they so they right. know the, the reactions. So these are the basis of, of these plans. Got it. I have to say one thing. We're talking about Jesse Smollett. We're talking about Mueller and Barr and all this. These what you're saying about the CIA. The CIA is is outward facing supposedly that they don't operate here, which is just cannot be true given what we know they did. In that with the Black Panther stuff, or what I think we know. I mean, I don't think that stuff's disputed. So, so this is when people are like, you're a conspiracy theorist because they do it, but supposedly they don't do it to us, right? That's their, their story is they don't do it to us, right? Are we not? So that document that you're reading is unlikely. It's not, I sincerely doubt it's suggesting that people do that to the domestic audience. But I think they do. I think we all know they do. And then I also add that wrinkle, which I've got to give a name to it, that uh, it could it, they could easily do it the way Judge Knapp was saying Obama went after Trump. The, Judge Knapp said that Obama just went to England, you know, not went to England, went to his contacts in England and said, you guys have all we share all our data, but I'm not allowed to investigate this guy. But you can because he's foreign. Yeah. So, I mean, it's as easy as that. And we know MI6, MI5, they're all, I mean, I, I don't, I I wonder if there's much of separation at all. Like, I do still think. And the Five Eyes Agreement is an intelligent yes. sharing agreement. Exactly, exactly. So, so that goes to the lie that it's the CIA is the Central Intelligence Agency, because what they actually do are covert operations, which your document there demonstrates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all say they're intelligence. They all call it intelligence. The Five Eyes is all intelligence. But we know that the military intelligence, the the British one, the U.S. one, as you can see from your document, is actually a plan of action. So I think that it's reasonable to speculate that the Five Eyes, supposedly intelligence, is also at least has some interaction with with plans of action. Yeah. So anyway, there's there's a lot of yeah. What you're saying is this document talks a lot about stuff like that and about the psychology behind it. And it's clear reading this and we know this already, but it's clear that deceiving the masses is like primary objective. Number one, we're going to put a ton of resources into developing the the techniques and knowledge to do this without the public knowing it. So that's a conspiracy. You know, that's the conspiracy. That's why we always have to try to peel away because their goal is deception. And they and they absolutely have their uh, their screeners for books and movies and everything. I mean, that's that's totally in evidence. Yeah. Maxim number two. They exploit the limitations to human information processing. Using the law of small numbers as well as the susceptibility to conditioning. What's the law the, of small numbers being that you put a small amount of data in front of people that is going to confirm what they already believe. So they rely on just that small data set and they don't look at anything else. It's a form of confirmation bias essentially. It's kind of like somebody who is sure that Trump is guilty of Russian collusion all you gotta do is put a little bit of little bit of stuff in front of them that looks like it might be collusion, according to a layman's perspective, and they they know for certain that he's guilty, right? And conditioning—it's an interesting. It, it explains conditioning in a pretty interesting way. Let me see if I can find it here. 
Uh, oh, um, give an example of conditioning. Conditioning or gradual uh, – yeah, gradual conditioning has an important place in the, in the design of deception schemes. They give numerous examples. Here's one of them. One now classic application was made – the Germans did it to the British in 1942. What they did is the the breakout was facilitated. There was a breakout, I guess, whatever that means. Sorry, I'm skipping pages around here. Oh, uh, one now classic application of the principle was made in the breakout of German ships from the Breest on 1940 in 1942 February 12th. I'm not sure what that specific incident incident is, but it's not really doesn't matter for the purpose. Uh, the breakout was facilitated by jamming the British radar. Ordinarily, this would have been a significant tip off that something was amiss, but the British radar operators dismissed it as being caused by atmospheric disturbance. This error was the result of a carefully orchestrated German ruse directed by General Wolfgang Martini. It's quite a name there, Wolfgang Martini. <laughs> <laughs> the, the head of the uh, Luftwaffe's signal services. At the dawn of each day during January, um, in, during the January, English raid stations had a few minutes of jamming, deliberately made to appear to sound like atmospheric. Every day, the length of the jamming increased slightly. By February, the British radar operators were warily accustomed to this interference. They reported it as being caused by the atmospheric conditions. I think that's really interesting. I agree. There's something that subtle. They, they, the broad ranging plan. I think that's really something that's easy to forget with all the news is this is a broad ranging plan where they're like every day for this amount of time, we're going to be sending these signals so that they write it off to a false solution, which is something else this document talks about. It talks about false solutions by furnishing a false solution that fits into the narrative of the target audience's mind. Then not only do they stop looking for other possible solutions, it's almost impossible for them to see other possible solutions because that one kind of just blacks everything else out. It, it, that's the exploitation of the, the limitations we have mentally. The implications of this are tremendous in my opinion. That, first of all, it, it shows that they think ahead. Yeah. They think ahead. And so when you see these things just like hitting the, the page, like, oh, can you believe Struck wrote this text to his girlfriend? It's like, yeah, they, they planned it in advance. You know what I mean? They planned it. And then, and then people, I'll say like, what do you think's going on here? And nine out of 10 times, if I'm talking to my husband or at a party or whatever, people will like tell me what they read in the newspaper. Oh, I read about that. This is what it is. I'm just like, I, I don't mean that. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yeah. what's really going on. Yeah. yeah. And it makes, and then every once in a while I step back and I'm like, I so completely ignore that official narrative. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes there isn't more to it. It's very hard for me to distinguish, but I, but, you know, I want to just say, you know what? Maybe it is all what you see is what you get, but clearly it is not. And even if it's not our CIA doing it, let's say it's Iran's. Yeah. You know, or they say it's Russia's, right? Now, Russia isn't benefiting at all, and we can see who is benefiting from this, and we can see who's perpetrating it, new new knowledge, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like there's no evidence that it's actually Russians. It doesn't even make sense. Uh, but so just <clears throat> it seems to me this is what we're seeing all the time. Yeah, I agree, and it also puts to bed one of the most annoying explanations for something that to me anyway and that is Ackman's razor which i'm like Ackman's razor bullshit Occam, Occam's, Occam's razor. razor and the other one is Hansen's law where 
Occam's razor is that it's the most obvious. Yeah, the simplest explanation people right. say. I'm like, the simplest explanation is it's easy to control masses of right. people by not telling them that you're deceiving them. Right. Not what you're saying. Right. So not I agree. you. I mean, the hypothetical person but I'm arguing with here. Hansen's <laughs> is worse. Hansen's is, I think it's Hansen's law. Never chalk up to malice. What could be explained by incompetence? Ah, yes. That, that one That's bothers me, too. <laughs> the worst. Because, first of all, when you look at the FAA, uh, I'm, I'm horrified that I've ever brought this to anyone's attention because as soon as I started talking about it, things started going wrong. But the FAA, it's super complicated to take the – to coordinate airplanes, and they coordinate, like, tens of thousands a day. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. And that, uh, and they, it's not like they take up 75% of the, of the budget of the government in the whole country. I mean, it could for how, how good it is. Maybe it's not the most efficient or whatever, but they get it done for a normal price and they do it perfectly, not well, perfectly. Yeah. As far as safety is concerned, you know, as far as deaths. And those, so if they wanted to do things competently, they could. It's not – I never – I cannot – that is the most damaging. I agree, and it gives people who do want to deceive others, it gives them cover. If I'm somebody who's trying to be a world dominator and manipulate all the masses of the world, then I, I, I'm like fantastic. Yeah. Occam's razor. This yes. Is, yes, this is what I say, that the, the devil's – was it? This might have been from the Usual Suspects, or maybe it's something ageless. I don't know, timeless. But it was that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince people he doesn't. There you exist. go. Exactly. There it's you go. So true. And I also had a glossary entry called the Incompetence Canard, which yeah. like it's just this made up. It's just it gets you, it throws you off, and it's not true. And every time someone might actually be under suspicion, they're going to be like, "Oh, well, I just I had no idea. I was, I'm just stupid." Oh, yeah. Are you an idiot or a jerk? Of course, you're going to be like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. If being a jerk is going to get you jail time. And, right. Yeah. I always say I'm like, don't don't get mad at people if they're idiots. Only get mad at them if they're jerks. But that would make people act like idiots when they're really being jerks. Yeah. Both of those two. What are those? Not Max or sayings. They have have kept people in relationships for long after the time they should have broken up because one or the other is deceiving. You know what I mean? No. Wow. If you take that mindset a into a relationship and you're and somebody's getting being cheated on or being lied to by their partner, maybe their partner's a spy for all they know. They keep saying, "No, no, no. I'm just jumping to conclusions." Occam's razor. And what was the other one called? Hansen's law. I think. Hansen's law. I'm not going to project something bad on it, even though there's all these clues that a detective oh, might yeah. say, you know, maybe something bad is going on here. Yeah, people do convince themselves that the other person is not cheating because it's so much easier to do that. You just can't upend your life like that. You don't know what to do. So that's more – that's beyond preconceptions, and that's more towards the hope. Thing. Exactly. Like it's what they want. Right. They want it to be nothing. And next one. This one's interesting here. I think you're going to like this one. I'm skipping to Maxim 4. Maxim 4 is called The Jones Dilemma. Deception becomes more difficult as the number of channels of information available to the victim increases. So we saw that with the creation of the Internet. Right. However, within limits, the greater the number of controlled channels, the greater the likelihood of deception being believed. Wow. Wow. 
That one that one hits right home, doesn't it? Yeah, because I always said the internet was a limited hangout. Yeah. But I know, that, I thought of you as soon as I read that one. I was thinking, like, but why bother? But that is why. That's amazing. And think of what the internet provides. That one little box makes you think that you have millions of feeds. Yeah, and it could just be one person, you know, 50 miles underneath the ground, like the drop we have says. <laughs> Uh, maximum five, a choice among types of deception. Where possible, the objective of deception of the deception planner should be to reduce the ambu- and ambiguity in the mind of the victim, to force him to seize upon a notational worldview as being correct, not to make him less certain of the truth, but more certain of a particular falsehood. However, increasing the range of alternatives and or the evidence to support any any of many incorrect alternatives, increasing the noise, may have particular use when the victim already has several elements of truth in his possession. That one was kind of wordy, but... That's kind of complicated. On the one hand, a lot of these things just feel like logical fallacies that you have to have a kind of yeah. vulnerable audience that's been dumbed down to well, yeah. to get that. But, yeah, that... Uh, that one to me that I've read about this one in some of the propaganda books, similar stuff is is it straw men or red herrings they're setting up yeah it's it's that certainty part the first aspect of it is that certainty we people who call in and troll us they feel certain already of of a falsehood they are they are so certain of it and, and this type of propaganda they're talking about is reducing all reducing all complexities all nuance simplifying it and creating a certainty in the mind of the target audience so that they don't question stuff and the second half of it is that when truth is out there because you can't conceal all of it so when people have revealed some truths kind of like we did with Stacey Abrams and burning the flag and some right. of the nuances behind it and then they they took that and Increase the noise around it, and it flooded out the points that we made, and it put those other points that were not the truth. It solidified these falsehoods about her in their mind by flooding out. So when the truth is out there, you do you allow other stories to come out, so you can flood that truth out. That's what I take away from that. Actually, the trolls form that serve that function too. I see that they try to waste my time. They try to bombard me with distractions. But the thing about the trolls that's so ironic is. They call me under false pretenses, and uh, they use deception. The trolls are always being deceptive when they call the WSB show. And it's funny because they're the victims of deception, and they don't suspect deception, yet they're engaging in deception. Yeah, you're right. So they can't even face the possibility that they're being taken in by the very tools they're being taught by those people to use. Yeah, I th- I think that I think a exactly. I think a simpler way to put it than the way they have it is that when people have elements of truth that you don't want them to have, like maybe we have sometimes, then just unleash the noise on them so that it, not only does it flood that out it, with their audience, but it also makes it hard, makes them feel uncertain about. Well, those that's truths. what some of these disinfo sites, I think, are. Yeah, they you've take- talked about about this before. That's why this struck me. Yeah, they just they they take all the real stuff and then they put discrediting messages in it. That that's a bit of what well that is exactly what Cass Sunstein's mess, uh, memo was about. Um, 
it was about the conspiracy theory thing, cognitive dissonance was the name of the memo, but he was he was saying just take where there's truth and inject falsehood into it to discredit it. That's a little different from just uh, uh, overwhelming, but that would explain why for a time. Now they've purged the internet, so you cannot get all the good truth stuff. I, I, I used to call it Truth Star because I could go through 100 articles and find the two or find 10 that were probably 99. Pick 10 and nine of those 10 would be the true ones. Like that's how I would do it. And then after that Parkland massacre last February in 2018, it they're just everything was fake. But but at the time before that, there were a thousand articles for every hundred that were good, and that's how I could get to the bottom of the Boston Marathon bombing and all that. But I don't even try anymore because it's not there. But but it was hard to sort through back then, and people would argue with me. But the logic would not hang together on the fake ones. So someone like me would have to spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. But you could do it. There were people who were doing it. American Everyman was great at it. And I'm sure he's still doing it until WordPress shut us all down. <laughs> you know, I mean, they really made a difference. They explain it. Here's how they explain this. Two types of deception. One being a deception, type A, which increases the ambiguity in the victim's mind. And lowers the probability of a correct of a correct perception um, by diluting or multiplying the alternatives, or m deception, m deception, which is misdirection, and this reduces ambiguity in the victim's mind by having him convinced of a particular falsehood. And they go on to say, and I thought this was interesting. Um, the principle of a deception. Is having is uh, this is this the guy who said this? His name is Eric Ambler. They don't say who he is, but he says we gave him a kaleidoscope to play with, talking about the target, and he used it as a looking glass. So giving the public a kaleidoscope so they can turn it into their own looking glass, which I think is an interesting concept. Yeah. You know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, originally my thought was like a Wired magazine. Yeah. Wired magazine is good, but it's controlled. Right. Right, exactly. So the kaleidoscope is controlled and it's it's a closed system, essentially. So yes, we're just yes. looking around this closed, controlled system, I think is what that is alluding to. Hmm. I'll have to ponder that. Yeah, that, that's an interesting quote that's in there that I think is definitely needs some pondering. But there's definitely – the fact that someone would say something like that means they have an obvious meaning behind it. I'm like, what, is they, what does he mean by that little, little comment? I mean I would love – I would just love to have real-world examples in each one of these. There are real-world real, real world examples in these, but some of them are so complicated and like – I. Not 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 proposals, but like this is what we did in Iraq, you know. This oh yeah, nineteen eighty. So it would have been no. They Iran. do. They talk about. They have oh, like wow. World War Two references for all of these. Oh yeah, they this, do older stuff yeah. to make it not piss you off so much. Yeah, yeah. It's a distance, and you weren't alive during that time. So. Right, you can't remember it. You don't feel like a sucker because it wasn't you. And we don't do it anymore. And we only do it. Blah blah blah. This is another quote, which 
It's a little bit simpler explanation of it. The ultimate goal of this strategy is to make the enemy quite certain, very decisive, and very wrong. <laughs> yeah. I have to t- say one thing before we move on. One of these CIA manuals, uh, it might have been something that you brought, or I might have just stumbled upon it, but I remember it was, I think it was something you brought because it was about assassinations. Did you bring one about assassinations? Yes. Okay. I don't remember which one. In one of the, in, in the details, it was like, uh, you know, overt assassination, covert assassination, undetectable, whatever. And one of the examples they used of someone that the government had assassinated is unbelievable to me because I'm, I think I'm the only person who really thinks this had to be the case. Warren G. Harding. Oh, right. And the people like, oh, maybe he was killed by his wife, you know, which is complete BS. He was he was assassinated. He won by the greatest landslide in presidential history. It was after the women got the vote. So you can't blame us for uh, for the world turning to crap, the country. And he he was when they tried to make a Great Depression in 1929 crash. And he just shrugged it off. He was like, yeah, you can crash and whatnot, but I'm not. I'm not control. I'm going to let the stuff shake out. If rich people lose their money, so be it. And and things got back on track pretty quickly. He took the government back from Wilson, and then Calvin Coolidge took over after him. And then he won by the second greatest landslide in presidential history. He was a a real classical liberal or classical conservatives, really basically the same thing. But I'm but it was just amazing to me because I'm like Warren G. Harding had to have been killed and why didn't they kill Andrew Jackson? And then I read that they tried <laughs> to, you know? Yeah. And and then when the CIA used Warren G. Harding as an example, I was like, wow. <laughs> Never saw it anywhere else. But anyway, so I love their examples, but they can be a little dangerous. Yeah, there's definitely some revealing facts in a lot of these CIA manuals and documents and other military manuals as well. Maxim 7, I'm skipping to the more easier to explain ones or the easier to talk about ones. Sequencing rule. Deception activities should be sequenced so as to maximize the persistence of incorrect hypothesis for as long as possible. The principle follows from Jervis's hypothesis number 14 that actors tend to overlook the fact that evidence consistent with their theories may also be consistent with other views. Humans have a fallacy in the interpretation of evidence. This is an active principle that's designed to exploit this human tendency to misperception. Successful deception planners have always understood this principle intuitively. Right, you have to paraphrase that. Or that start sounds over. to that sounds to me like, saying. yeah. Are you going to paraphrase it? I'm, yeah, no, I was I'm thinking. Waiting. I'm waiting patiently. It sounds to me it's similar to what the first one was, where they exploit those preconceptions. And they want to propagate this falsehood for as long as possible. And the reason that it works is because people have a tendency to believe what they want to believe and black everything else out. I think that's I think that feeds into this. We we misperceive things based on what we based on our preconditions. And so deception planners knowing this, they know that if they put that information out there that people will come to a false solution, and they might suggest it. They, they might not explicitly say that false solution. They talk about this in here too, but they do it in a way to where people can pick it up to will where they will infer a false solution themselves so it feels like it came from within them. Oh, my gosh. It's like uh, maybe my mother thought of it, 
But she thinks she was saying they should just do a GoFundMe for the wall. Yeah. That kind and of I'm stuff. like, yeah, I you know, then it came out like a week later and Franny was my sister was like, she she's been saying that for a while. And I'm thinking maybe she might have thought of it, but I hear stuff like that all the time. I, we've heard it on the show. People call in and I'm like, did you realize somebody called in about the New Zealand shooter? He's like, maybe he's trying to provoke a civil war as they crack down on guns. I was like, well, that was in his manifesto. So, yeah, I'm thinking that's what he Watch is like, oh, I didn't even see that. I'm thinking, but somebody planted that thought in your head. Yeah. Probably. I mean, not 100%. Like, I, I definitely think people think of stuff. I think of stuff all the time, and then I Google it, and I, I'll swear I didn't. <laughs> nobody pointed it. You know, nobody planted it in my brain. Maybe they did. Yeah, I think about that stuff, too. It can drive you crazy trying to map Oh, yeah, because where... then you question your own sanity. Yeah. If, if, if Cass Sunstein hears this podcast, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, do it that way. Yeah, yeah, Make yeah. them really crazy, like backdate an article, like hear what they say and write an article and backdate it so they can oh think they, they got it and then forgot it, you know? Planted in the CBS news feed online. She's like, oh, my gosh, I was just reading that. Yeah. I mean, they really could make you crazy. They could make you lose your mind. And they have don't isn't targeted individual real thing? Don't they target individuals and I think so. I don't them? know. I know that some people claim that they're targeted with like microwaves from the cell towers and they believe that people can communicate with them. Basically, they can put like you can hear you hear somebody talking in your head and the theory, I believe, is that there's like a CIA agent somewhere who's actually talking into something in a directed wave is sending that message into your head uh, i think that's probably true the guy who did the navy yard shooting he described that i've seen a lot of people describe that and then i think even miriam carey the chick who who's <laughs> who i great I, I i hesitate well i mean it was american everyman who said that it was a possibility you know it's worth speculating that obama had a relationship with this chick and she brought that baby to the white house and they killed her and they took the baby yeah i wonder where that baby is now with its alleged father not her family yeah Number... but i wonder because they hazmatted her apartment That's that crazy. night and the only i mean an explanation that fits into that theory might be that they were getting rid of all the baby's dna because her dna would trace to obama i think I mean, not. I'm not did saying they give it would, an explanation but to that, that theory. Hmm? Did they say why they hazmatted her no. apartment? They never said why. I mean, you don't just hazmat anything. You know? No, it was pretty crazy, and there were pictures of it. But you, that's the kind of stuff you're not. I don't see on the internet anymore. It's all just fake. It's all gone into that black hole yeah. we took a picture of today. Yes, yes, I saw that. Which I is thought, totally underwhelming. Like that's I thought it would fake be too. But the targeted individuals. Uh, I, I don't know if that's something that's real or what, but that, but using microwaves to control people's thoughts. I mean, I've read, uh, studies about it that, you know, not tongue in cheek, not disinfo like science or military stuff that talks about it. It talks about the, you can wiki it. I mean, it's, you, they talk about how to use magnet, mag, magnetic waves. Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. And to, I mean, for all we know, there could be little insect drones that are uh, flying around. Ten talking years ago, to us. I saw a drone that that Israel produced that was a dragonfly. I think I saw that. I saw one recently ten years too. Ago. 
You think you saw it like at your house or? Yeah, I, yeah. Every time, <laughs> every time I see a fly, I'm like, I know who you are. Oh my god! I gosh. know who you are. Oh my goodness! People are like, why are you yelling at that fly? I'm like, it's stay out of this. G. It's the five G. Yeah. <laughs> getting into your brain. They're delivering those messages to your five G. But look, I pulled up the document that you're saying so I could follow along because I don't think I'm pulling my weight here. But uh, Maxim nine is where I was hopping to. But I next. was I was looking at Maxim six. Did you notice that? What axelrod are they talking about? Axelrod's oh. contribution is it David Axelrod? No, I don't okay. think it's that Axelrod. No, I don't think so either. But if it were, I think he's definitely that uh, one up there with Cass Dunstein. Yeah, the husband husbanding of assets. I believe it says the circumstances where deception assets should be hus- husbanded despite the cost of maintenance and risk of waste awaiting for a, m- a more fruitful use. That one talked about a weapon, a World War II weapon. I can't remember specifically what it says, but that they did not want to use, that the British didn't want to use. They called it the window, I believe. That was one of the names of it. And because they didn't want to use it, because if they used it, then it would give their enemy, then their enemies would be able to either use it or be able to have protection for it. So they wanted to wait until the right moment because they were going to, it was oh. going to lose its power. Oh, interesting. That's very like They said that Churchill said open the window when he finally decided to use it. It's a very Churchill thing to say. Ugh. <laughs> I used to like him. I, had, I think my first cat was named Winston. Oh, number nine, the monkey paw. Deception efforts may produce subtle and unwanted side effects. Planners should be sensitive to such possibilities and where prudent take steps to minimize these counterproductive aspects. It is generally acknowledged that the number of witting personnel should be minimized even to the point of misleading your own forces. Obviously, that's why conspiracy theories are real. Right. And that's why people always think they're in the know should never be so certain about that. You know what I mean? Yes. I've run into that so many times. I've run into people who should know stuff I know. And they're like, "What? how would you – how do I not know that? I'm like, because you're not looking outside the blinders of your cubicle. Right. Like Stacey Abrams, she's going to mislead her own forces. You know what I mean? Well, AOC, AOC. I think is even more deceptive. I don't know. They're both pretty good. They're both good at what they do. Stacey Abrams is in the CFR. AOC acts like a bartender. I was thinking about it the other day, and yeah, she she talked about it's okay being a bartender at that Al Sharpton convention she spoke at recently. Stacey Abrams was also there, the one where people said yeah, she yeah. talked like like she was black. Which all politicians, most politicians take on a tone of their audience. So that's uh, – although it does – her explanation was that she grew up She grew up in the Bronx. That's how she's always talked she and that her other voices at real. I'm like, no, you didn't grow up in the Bronx. <laughs> I know. That's a I lie. Know. So her stuff is like total BS and she went to an elite program. They just completely sheep-dipped her and gave her a new idea. Yeah, and she talked about to this crowd. She talked about, I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm like, you're not – a bartender. No, I don't think she ever was because the – I read an article. I was already on to this, but I read an article that was supposed to validate her being a bartender by being a little bit negative. So it looked like it was an article yep. by someone who should love her and because they were saying, you know, that AOC, she wasn't like the greatest bartender. She swiped people's tips or was just a little stingy about tips, which would fit right into the idea that she was like hard-nosed and false struggling solution. for money. Huh? It's false solution. Hold on. 
I, I'm not sure about it. I, I have to think about what a false solution is. Let me tell you the end, and then I'll think about that. So they said the people who were working with her were uh, bitching about her, and, and they said they worked with her for four years at this place, Tortilla Flats, wherever it was. But the location where it was had not had only been open for two years. Maybe she helped build the location. It's possible. But anyway, and none of it made sense anyway because of her other stuff that she's done. But so they I don't even think she ever was a bartender. But that time when she did that at the Al Sharpton thing, Trump tweeted right then and there or that day or day before or after, uh, you know, shut up, bartender or whatever. Yeah. Like totally validated. You know, there's got to be something in your catalogs that say – Skip the assumptions. And if everybody's, if everybody just accepts an assumption and fights about something else, the assumption gets accepted. Exactly. They skip over the assumption. Yeah, you're right. That happens all the time with the dialectic. Yes, exactly. That's the whole point of the dialectic, in my opinion. Now, when she told them there's nothing wrong with being a bartender and she's proud to be a bartender, you're right. That was very deceptive because what she was trying to tell that crowd is that look at me. I am now in Congress. You can also do what you want to do if you listen to me because I've done it and I was right where you were when that's a lie. She's been trained to be an activist and an organizer since she was in high school. And her her program at BU was basically world government, you know, right? She was really trained for it. Absolutely trained for it. And she went to those. She she had a couple of those uh, internships where where I believe I used to. I, I mean, until like two months ago or one month ago. I really still thought that these things targeted minorities to help them. Like it was an affirmative action thing. But what they do, what I really think they're doing is they're only available to minorities because they're carpetbagging. Yeah. Carp- and definition of carpetbagging is? What's that yeah. Name? Well, the carpetbagging is – I can't think of – I don't know the name of the victim of the carpet bag or the front man of the carpet bag, but I believe the car- – what I learned about in seventh grade was that the carpetbaggers came down at, during Reconstruction, and they were – so a lot of the rebels were disenfranchised. They couldn't vote, which I think was the – that was in Gone with the Wind. It was the meeting where Ashley got shot was a Ku Klux Klan meeting which was a vigilante organization for these uh, the rebels who were kind of outside of society and couldn't depend on the. Like, that's what that's why I like it. This stuff is just even if it's true, I don't want to uh, say stuff like that because it ends up offending people. I think, but the but the reality is that uh, I I learned this in school. They came down the, I guess. Money guys, white guys from the north came down, and the, the, the trend at the time was to the, to have in the north was suitcases that were made out of carpet, mm. and maybe they were full of money, cash to give people who would be their front men. So because of the disenfranchisement, yeah. they the I, I think the former slaves had more power, political power in the democratic institutions than the rebels who were disenfranchised and could not vote. So the carpetbaggers would come down, find a former slave, put that person up as the person who was actually going to be the mayor or whatever. Yeah, the front man. Yeah, give that person money, and then that person, the front man, would divert reconstruction funds or whatever money there was to be had at the government back to the carpetbagger. 
who may have been representing interests in the North. It may have been deeper than that. But I really want to know who the, what the front man's name was in that era. The carpetbaggers, that was a name. But who were their, their puppets? And that's yeah. what I think these puppets of color are. I agree. I, it fits perfectly. Maxim 10. This one's really interesting. Care in the design of planned placement of deceptive material. Great care must be exercised in the design of schemes to leak notational plans. We've seen quite a bit of leaks over the past couple of years. Windfalls of leaks are subject to close scrutiny and often disbelieved. Genuine leaks often occur under circumstances thought improbable. A common feature of the successful deception efforts is that they're designed to co-opt skepticism by requiring some particip- participation by the victim, either a physical effort in obtaining the evidence or analytical effort in interpreting it. Co-opting, yeah, that's the key. And that, That's something that drives me mad because we try to find information and interpret it outside of the dialectic they're trying to put in our heads. And this tells me that they're obviously thinking about that audience of people as well. When they're making their plans. So so I think of this, that they leave Easter eggs. Yeah. And that's that's consistent with what you're saying? Absolutely. It, it, I, I worry about that sometimes me myself. Too. I'm like, they left this here for me. I absolutely think about that too. And, and I'll tell you, there was an episode of that recently where I was just like, hold the phone. There's no chance. This is bubbling up, bubbling up. Oh, it was right before... It was right before Lindsey Graham came out with his proposal for red flag laws to take away guns from people that the government unilaterally decides is mentally ill. It came right the week after I just got bombarded with these suicide, these headlines of people involved in mass casualty events committing suicide. And I kept getting them like, oh, yeah. they, they feel they don't want to tell uh, they're sick of lying or whatever. You know, the conspiracy interpretation was that these people were being rubbed out or sick of lying. But and then Lindsey Graham came out and basically were like that. He didn't say it, but the the alternative interpretation was that people were uh uh, too traumatized by these events that the casualties lasted forever, like like Vietnam, where people came home and killed themselves, possibly, I don't know, but then got killed over there and that it was a casualty. But I just remember saying, like, when I was getting all these things that shouldn't be on the Internet anymore after Parkland, yeah, I, I was like, there's something going on here. And lo- like within a week, there was that the, the payoff, the dialectic comes to fruition the the synthesis emerges but i felt it was an easter egg yeah and you you ask about where or how many video how many views a certain video has sometimes when i'll find clips Uh because you're wanting to see if it's viral because it's viral then it's less likely to be still has meaning to it but it's less likely to have a deeper meaning and anybody who goes from zero to 60 in no time in a podcast or whatever, or, or the, the sound quality is perfect unless they're a musician or like somebody whose business is sound and they podcast because they're good at sound. Yeah. If I hear perfect sound or zero to 60, you know, like right off the bat or just uh exponential subscriber growth. I'm, I get, I, you know, it's, I'm not, it's not, dispositive or it's not disqualifying but it makes me wonder what whether it's there for us to 
derail us from the path. Yeah. I think about that too. And I, thinking about that, it gets really meta, you know, it can make you just go insane. (laughs) There was a chick who saw the Parkland shooter. She said she was walking next to him on the stairs. Mm -hmm. Remember that one? Yeah, I remember that one. People were all over that. And then, then within a couple of days, like she was uncovered as a 24 year old actress living wherever. Yeah. And so, but that was when I was like, there's, this is the only one, this is the only chick and four people are sending it to me. That's an Easter egg. There's a couple more interesting quotes about this one. Misinformation can't simply be handed over. It has to be leaked in bits and pieces in indirect and subtle ways from places far from where the main battle would be fought. Yes. No one knew uh, um, better than the British that intelligence easily obtained is intelligence readily disbelieved. It's the cardinal rule of deception. Well. The Germans would have to work for the truth, and once they had pieced it together after much labor and cost, a convincing whole would emerge. So they make them work to piece together the lie. Oh, my gosh. This is really my worst nightmare. And then here's another one. And this guy – I've read about this guy. I've tried to find information about this guy. He's been one of the hardest guys to find information about. He was a British intelligence officer who worked with the Wellington House. His name – he was a propagandist, like the, one of the main uh, puppet masters, Sir John Mastermind, Masterman. <laughs> It's not mastermind. Masterman. Masterman. Yeah. And he said that you can't announce that an operation is going on. What you got to do is you got to hand over information, introducing facts to the German intelligence staff that um, will deduce your deception's intentions. So like we talked about a moment ago, they give them enough information so that they will deduce what – the, the uh, propagandist wants them to deduce, but then they go on to say that the danger of that is that it could possibly be too subtle that they won't take away what you want them to take away from it. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely get that. I get that. And that's where that's where I try to add value. It's getting harder and harder because the material isn't yeah. really there anymore. really makes you look at the information we see on the news every day in a, in a different yeah. light when you think That's about That's exactly – what you're saying is exactly how I thought it worked though. Yeah. I, I did think it worked like that and I was like, this is too easy. Uh, I'm going to pursue like the Seth Rich thing. At first, I mean I saw that immediately as soon as it came off the wires like he got murdered at four in the morning and they didn't take anything. You know, I was like, hmm. That sounds bad. And then I heard it on the radio like a week later, someone saying, oh, I I suspect foul play. And I was like, hmm, well, if you suspect foul play and you're saying it on the radio, then we're all – and look, it became an absolute cult thing. That's why I was skeptical about Pizzagate. Yeah. Too easy. But then then I feel like there's layer upon layer. So they don't want it – it depends on their audience. And maybe there are different different – places that they expect different segments of the audience to land so they have people who really believe pizzagate maybe that guy who went to shoot it up really was real like maybe they actually that is one of their that was one level of the pizzagate thing and then the people who can really really dig there's tons there for them yeah tons of little easter eggs tons tons and then maybe there's another layer maybe i'll get wherever i land might also be a deception that's not to say that it is a deception. See, here's another thing I think sometimes is that they take the real ones and they and they jam them with a bunch of junk 
like pictures of Hillary with blood dripping off fangs, which she she does not have fangs. You see her, she doesn't have fangs, right? So, <laughs> right? So, so the fang part is definitely not true. And that could be a way for them to bury the truth in, in plain sight. That they oh, yeah. make the conspiracy theory out of the real stuff. That's what I think Pizzagate was for. Like from the beginning, right. I was like, Pizzagate yes. is burying the real pedophile scandal in plain sight. Right, but I'm saying out of deference to the people, a lot of people I respect do really like they've dug into Pizzagate and it never stops. So I'm not saying that they're what they're finding isn't true. What you're saying is right. it's it's diverting or maybe what you're saying is it's diverting attention from the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Yeah. And I'm saying I think it might be diverting attention from Podesta. You know, oh, like yeah, it, that absolutely. could be. Yeah, I know. You Everything get that, could but. be true about about pizza. Game. It could be. Everything right. could be true. But the way it was treated and reported in the right. media worked to do what you just said to cover it up in plain sight. Right. Nobody would believe it. Yeah. So I don't know if it's real or not, but there are I would say there are landing spots like at four different layers on the Pizzagate thing. There's like I, I'm I don't even know if I've seen them all. There are people on the left who's like this is clearly BS. They could see that from the beginning. There are people on the right who's like, whatever. So I I think that they they, they do yeah. I mean they there are layers of they're just layers of subtlety that are designed for different audiences. Yeah, I got two quotes for you that I think you're gonna like. Or maybe it'll drive you crazy, but you've spoken about stuff similar to this. And this comes from the CIA Manual of Trickery and Deception. This is this is a book that was put together from manuals that were written by a magician um, who worked with CIA agents like back in the 50s and 60s. I think his name is John McLaughlin, I believe, is the, hmm. the magician. And this book is written by... H. Keith Melton and – or this document and Robert Wallace. Proper stage management techniques oh, – hold on, strong one. That's the second one. To create an effective illusion, the spy and the magician employ similar craft and stage management techniques. Plausible reasons are substituted for reality to conceal true purposes, and spectator attention is lulled and diverted. For both spies and magicians to be successful, execution must be carefully planned, exhaustively practiced, and mm-hmm. skillfully performed. Yeah. It's the old smoke and mirrors thing. Right. So even even when they say people flip out, and sometimes people do flip out, I know, but sometimes a flip out or what seems to be erratic behavior is very much planned behavior. You know what, what I mean? Do you mean? Like no. Trump's – like I, the whole thing about Trump just randomly tweeting when he gets angry – I think is the stupidest thing. They analyzed his tweets some years ago and found that they came from five different devices and different iOS, you know. Like, I'm sure. It was the Androids, whatever. And this is a guy who doesn't have a computer, but he's like addicted to tweeting. He if doesn't you, know. Yeah, you I've think, heard him be asked about his tweets and he's just like, what, what, what was it? It's like, well, the tweet you just tweeted is like, I tweet a lot. What was it? And I get that. I get that. But there's also another way of looking at it, which is... Mm, <laughs> he has no idea. Right. You could create like a Trump parody account and tweet things in his voice, and maybe you'll get hired to be his next tweeter for all you know if you're good yeah. enough at it. Yep. And and I also I, – I take this stuff further and say that he himself, his entire thing could – I know you know I think this could be a, a many, many-year plan. 
It's possible. But that's there were but many people who were set up for it. Not everybody gets to be the guy. Yeah, that's another thing that this talks about. It talks about how there's not just one outcome. They're very flexible in the way that they could go when they yeah, start their Yeah, I think plans. you have to see that, especially with a, with a thing like Trump. Say they had 10 guys like that. Obama, too. I think his grandfather's records were purged. His mother's father, because he was also military intelligence and welcomed Obama Sr. to Hawaii the day he arrived, which belies the idea that the mother met him in a class. Say that again? I'm just saying there's a picture of Obama's father, Obama Sr., getting laid uh, in Hawaii by in a group with Obama's mother's father who was a CIA or military intelligence operative. Yeah. And that shows that he that Obama's father was acquainted with his grandfather before his mother was in a class with him. Oh, and, okay. And my point is and then when Barry Sotero, which he was later known as when he lived in Indonesia with the father uh Lolo or yeah, Lolo, uh, uh he was also kind of in intelligence and was part of this coup for Union Oil and Indonesia. I'm just saying like Obama is one of those people I think was incubated for yeah. decades. But that's when you hear that's when like the words of Harry Reid ring in my ears when he said something that offended a lot of people. And it is offensive, but I think it's more than offensive. It's or offensive on more than one level where he said, I think the people are ready for like an articulate black man or a light skinned black man who sounds white or can sound white, like some really Machiavellian stuff. Yeah. And 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 that the tell for me there is like, what are they ready for? And I have a friend who said her husband years ago was approached by a guy who is an advertising guy in New York and said, we're trying to figure something out. We want to ask people their opinion. What's your gut? We're taking a survey. Do you think America would accept someone who wasn't a politician as president if the marketing were just right? Mm-hmm. And this was years and years ago. Yeah. And they thought – so they thought it was Obama that they were talking about. Yeah. But but now she wonders if it was Trump they were talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and so my point is that they – and so if they thought they wanted a black president to, I think, to get black Americans back in the fold, because I would say they're the most skeptical because they're the ones like I always think of the serfs or whatever as being like so completely outside of the American dream as promised in the Constitution because they were excluded from that. You know, they were slaves during that time of enlightenment. So they were never probably ever under that spell. Yeah. And that could be a problem. If you have a community, a solid community, that's a fair amount of it. So they, maybe they were preparing a lot of people to be, you know, they were carpet bagging a lot of people to come and be ready to like redirect black America, which I think some of them were, but a lot of them weren't. But I think it did reset. And now Stacey Abrams is yeah. redirecting. And about the. Yeah, but she's explaining. But anyway, so I just, uh, the, um, I just wanted to finish my thought, uh, but I can't remember now. Never mind. 
Got it. All right. I was going to say about the tweeting thing, I, they all have communication teams. Alexander oh, sorry. They have a bunch of sleepers and they pick the one for the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah the one that fits in the, the one that's good. Yes. And the one so that, there's a yeah. bunch of them waiting now and AOC is probably one of them. Yeah. But uh, whatever. Go ahead. Sorry. I agree. They they have a it's like a competition. The one who does the best job organizing, like Stacey Abrams, the stuff she's been doing the past few years is she's been demonstrating her ability to organize. Same as AOC while she was in college and while she was going out touring to go to the I can't remember that protest was that she went to Sanding Rock. Like this is all their audition process, I think. Yes, and I think. I think I actually think it can get right up. To, I think Ted Cruz was seriously in the running against Trump. Like, I think they were the only two people who were really running. Yeah. And the, the Twitter accounts, it's they're tweeted in their voice. I'm not saying that Trump doesn't have quips. because I think Trump is funny when he speaks. Oh, it could be somebody following around. Exactly. I, I think I that's what think it is. That. Like, if I, I don't were, think that if I were his writer, then I would I would listen to him. It's just like a late night show. They don't write the stand up. They have an army of writers that spend the day writing literally hundreds of jokes that they then run by the host who selects the ones he wants. Right. I don't even think Trump selects them. He might not. I, I'm just saying I, I personally think that Some he's of them. completely he's simply an actor. Yeah, I, I think so. But all. as an actor, as and he is, he is an improviser at times. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Y- you're yeah, gonna yeah, have yeah, fun yeah. with that. Yes. That would be if yes. I were him. That would be one of the most fun parts of the job yeah, okay, is getting to it. do yes. ridiculous things on yeah. Twitter. He would not be able to pull it off if he weren't engaging at that level. You're right. So I agree with that. here's one more quote, and then we can move on. But this this is from that same CIA uh, magic and trickery book. Proper stage management techniques provide reasons for the magician's audience to believe their eyes instead of their reason. I'll say that again. Proper stage management techniques provide reasons for the magician's audience to believe their eyes instead of their reason. People have an almost infinite capability to self-rationalize and know that humans cannot levitate or survive being cut in half, yet both appear to occur on a well-managed stage. The CIA learned to exploit such tendencies in operations where the spy needed the hostile surveillance team to ignore direct visual observations and rationalize events as non-alerting. It's heavy. Yeah. I'm thinking like our... Are certain alien stories and mystical subcultures designed to help to exploit or even just study where where reason can be overwhelmed, you know, by this idea that things can happen outside of our experience in the physical world say that again i'm just trying to think in that vein if if some alien theories not not all of them i have no idea about aliens but there are some alien theories that get complicated and interact with us like michelle obama is a shapeshifter of course right or the queen of england is a shapeshifter yeah all right so perhaps they are perhaps they are not and perhaps that's the kind of thing that's inserted into the world to get a lot of people to be able to attribute things they know can't happen in this world to still believe those things but attribute it 
to this otherworldly explanation, like like some kinds of miracles, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I absolutely, I could see that being like a goal. Because I wonder sometimes, what are the goals? Assuming this is all disinfo. At this point, after Parkland, like everything that has a robust presence on the internet that's easy to find, I feel like has got to have some purpose, some memetic value. Well, that's where I was thinking that this this applies is is events that we see on television that we see it and they show us these events. And I'm not one who usually thinks things are staged. I think they can be. I don't tend to you, – you think they're staged more than I do, but this I think supports the theory that more things could be staged because you see it and you think you see what happened. But when you actually go and you ask questions, the reasoning of it doesn't add up, but you're still believing your eyes. And what you're seeing doesn't add up half the time. That's I true. Mean, what you're seeing is the is the – just broad brush strokes of what you think you should see, and I think they expect you, and they probably know you do it, you project the details that are required to make right. the thing make sense. Yeah, they And that's why enough. they keep the details out, because you can say, like, this looks ridiculous, there's no this or that. It's like, but they're letting you assume that behind that curtain or in that ambulance is something – is exactly what you think it would be, and they're not going to show it to you because then you might be like, that's not right. Yeah. We plug in the details similar. We kind of figure it out ourselves. At least they make us think that we do at times. Right. And then that lends more validity to our belief in it. It's that certainty that the maxims talk about creating. That's all the maxims and that's all that I have from those documents. You said you had some stories you wanted to go through? I had some stuff, but it's not in the same vein. Or maybe it is. It might be. I mean, it might be, actually. I think, I think all this stuff is probably applied to the – News media as we see it. Yep. Um, well, I wanted to give you – I, I, I want to do something. But first, I want to do a glossary term of the week. All right. So I just put up on, the, on my glossary, guilt by accusation. Mm, good one. Yeah. So – and it's beyond just like you're guilty. It's like asset forfeiture kind of paved, paved the way for that. But uh, – I should probably put that in the in the glossary too. Asset forfeiture is when if you're accused of a drug crime, they take your stuff, and I don't think you ever get it back whether you're convicted they or not. They take all of your stuff. They take whatever it is they're talking about. So they did one guy. This was a crazy story out of California. He had a bunch of land. He was a rich guy, had like thirty acres of land, and uh, and the government wanted it for some reason. And he fought he fought the eminent domain claim. They wanted to to like just give him whatever they wanted to give him and take the land. But he wanted the land. He didn't want fair market value. He wanted the land. And he, I guess, proved that they didn't really need it for what they wanted it for. So they uh, planted or discovered like a couple of pot plants on the far fringes of his 30-acre thing. And he and they just sent helicopters in and gunned them down. What? Yeah. and they, For marijuana? Yeah, but he didn't, I don't even think he did it. I don't even think he did it. They wanted his land. They got, I believe they got his land eventually, but they wanted, they targeted it for, they targeted it for some reason and then they used the drug thing to whatever. Maybe they didn't gun him down, or, but I think they ended up killing him. But they were just trying to seize the assets because there was like pot plants on it. Yeah. So, but the guilt by accusation thing is, so the asset forfeiture is where you lose your stuff without a conviction and the guilt by accusation is not only are you guilty by the accusation? But even if you didn't do it, 
you're expected to humbly submit in the in the name of like collective justice. Yeah. So a, a guy is like, I know I I didn't actually do it, but I can understand why she thinks I did it or I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sure stuff happened to her like that and on behalf of all men, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry if I made her feel that way, but right. my intent was I didn't wasn't... mean to. Right. So or the Joe I'll... Biden explanation. Or Al, yeah, or Al Franken, who, yeah. who like literally was caught a picture of his hands on her boobs while she was sleeping, and he's like, "I didn't do anything wrong, but I am stepping down." Oh, and maybe you know, if she woke up and said, "You know what? I don't give a crap. I started it. You should have seen what I did." You know, <laughs> to him. So, uh, so yeah, guilt by accusation. I feel like is plays into a lot of the psychological preconceptions. Totally. And it makes people about. not want to say things because it also, the guilt by accusation thing, it can destroy people in the uh, public opinion. It, so yeah, like Lori Lachlan, who yeah. I think is the one person in that college scam who's absolutely a victim and not a perp. And I only looked into her specific story because you said she was religious and conservative. And yep. I thought, I thought, I wonder if they're targeting her. And then as I looked into it, I was like, wow, she seems genuinely moral. Like, I'm surprised that she would do something that bad, you know? Uh, I wonder, and I, I, it was like a 200 and something page document, but I only looked at her story. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, over a dozen other parents pled guilty, but she didn't. So then they threw the book at her and they said, well, if she doesn't plead guilty now or it's too late, now we're going to try her. And if she loses, she goes to jail for 40 years. And this is why I don't like plea bargains. Yeah. Because it's a moral hazard. Even if she's innocent, now she's facing 40 years in jail. And, and if they say, well, just take one year or just plead guilty and pay a fine, then that makes us look legit and you don't have to go to jail. But she she doesn't she cares about her reputation, I guess. So yeah. anyway, not too many people fight back. It does seem hers seems like entrapment. That seems like a possibility to me when I read through. Yeah, and and uh, I I don't know when it happened. If it was before or after they were alerted, uh, like if the government was in on the entrapment. Oh, thing. they were. The guy was the FBI made them call her. Made the guy call her. But but that was at the end. I oh was yeah, thinking, yeah yeah yeah. You know when did they? When, so right. a Yale guy blew the whistle on Singer. Which is a weird – I don't know much about that guy yet, but I looked into him a little bit, and he's he's a very strange case in that story. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I saw him pop up out of nowhere, I wondered if that was one of those Easter eggs. He was facing charges apparently. Oh, on something totally unrelated. Yeah. You know, but like that story, I don't know if that's like, oh, that's where the story is. Look at that guy. Nobody's looking at that guy. It's like, well, we're looking at him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they put him there. Right. right? He's there. We're not looking at the guy who's not there, yeah. <laughs> who's probably the real key to this whole thing. Where's the dog that's not barking? Yes, he's. We can't see him. <laughs> so, so, but what I wanted to, what I, what I think might be somewhat obliquely relevant and directly relevant was this this Quora thing. Just uh, it, it just fascinates me. Yeah. So I've talked before about that. Adam D'Angelo, Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, and Lady Gaga, I believe, are the four people whose names I know, who were in the Johns Hopkins Talent Center for Talented Youth, which is often put in the same basket and maybe has a branch that is like a place where talented 
kids go to develop their skills in the summer, like Stacey Abrams' Telluride thing, which is also kind of presented as that, but is, is something a little more. But these guys uh, were in a program that at least started out as, and I think continued to be, a study of hyper-intelligent kids. So these people are off the charts hyper-intelligent, and then I believe they're it's like I believe that's a CIA recruitment tool and they put them in really important positions and they and they have a bunch of them. They have like a whole, you know, they'll have 20 of them. And these four uh, who I've heard of and who knows, like other ones probably have other roles. They're just not public facing roles. So this Adam D'Angelo started Quora. He was Zuckerberg's buddy. And Quora is a talking points machine, in my opinion. It just it puts stuff in my inbox. I don't know what I signed up for. Probably just politics. And it just sends me Q and A, and it's what I call the democratization of knowledge. That's another thing I have to put in the, uh, in the glossary. And I just have to read you a couple of these questions and answers. One is. Was Donald Trump a good academic student? That's yeah. the question. All right. So that that question and this answer were in my inbox. I didn't have to click on anything to read it. It came up. It was a couple of lines. Maybe I opened it to read like the rest of this little box, but it's not much more than a box. This this answer got 56,000 views and 806 upvotes. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about downvotes, but I think I don't know if downvotes are netted. I don't think so. I think it just moves to the top if it gets upvotes. And I'm, and my guess is they have bots giving upvotes to the stuff they want moving to the top. And the reason it gets all these views is because it's at the top. I viewed it. I'm one of those views. And the, it was he a good academic student? And it says the, uh, the author is a board certified thinker. Haha. She has 5,000 answers and 12 million answer views. Oh my God. Oh, it's a guy, Alexander <laughs> Lee. Okay. So it says, this is his answer. According to William T. Kelly, a former professor at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania who instructed Donald Trump, quote, Donald Trump was the dumbest goddamn student I ever had, end quote. Hmm. On top of that, Alexander Lee continues, Donald's father, Fred Trump, paid millions of dollars in bribes to the university just so his son could graduate, period. And get this. This is the last sentence. The evidence is pretty clear. Donald Trump was a terrible student. That's the evidence? Yes. And I have I have a follow-up to this, but just absorb that. Where did So where did that second – first of all, who is his teacher? When did he say this? And, and and was he really at the Wharton School of Business? Because the business school is a graduate school, and the Wharton School is an undergraduate program. Like, there's two different programs. And the Wharton School of Business, that would mean that maybe he taught Donald Trump as an undergrad or whatever, but I don't think Donald Trump has an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. It sounds like somebody who didn't like his student and had conflict with yeah, or what whatever. I mean, and and what you know, it's so hard to believe because this cursing in public like that—that that using that actually is cursing. I usually sell vulgarity, but it's GD, so it's cursing. Um, is very modern. It's post Vicente Fox. It's only three years old. So I don't know when that guy said it, but 
it, it is definitely playing to the zeitgeist of the Trump era. But but yes, yeah, so so that's the evidence that that the father gave all this money, right? So so I said, all right, well, <laughs> let me just Google it because I had I, I had actually researched this already because it was in an article I read on the air, tweeted or whatever about that, and that I could not find anywhere where Trump's father gave a lot of money or Trump and Ivana gave for their kids. And the reason I don't buy this stuff is that he's Donald Trump is cheap and he's a germaphobe. So any story that puts him with a porn star or giving money away is BS in my opinion. And I was even in New York recently and we flew into JFK and I was driving past Jamaica Hospital and there was a big sign, a big lettered sign at the top of this building called Trump Pavilion. And I thought, I just don't believe it. And I, as I looked closer, the Trump letters were clean and white and the pavilion and all the subtext and everything were like full of like rusty rain streaks. So he paid to swap out the name. He did not pay for the building from yeah. what I could observe driving yeah. by in a cab. And I always look because he's cheap and he's a germaphobe. Yeah. So uh, so I knew that I, or I never found any evidence of this of his father or himself giving big money. Jared Kushner's father gave over $2 million to Harvard. And it's like right before Jared got accepted. That I think is the big story. So I Googled, did Fred Trump give millions of dollars, whatever. And Quora gave me the answer. Quora was the first thing that came up. It got 25,000 views and 110 upvotes. From Ben Adams, the former director and alumni data and analytics at the Wharton School. So Quora is where you saw this to begin with, and then Quora yes. gave you the answer also? Yes, <laughs> yes because it's the democratization of information. Yeah. It's not true. It's upvoted. What dates were these? Were yes, these after the college admission scandal? So the first one was March of 2019. That's what popped into my email. Okay. March 2nd, 2019, which I believe was after the college. Which day. is interesting that the bribery part is thrown in there. And this was sent to you right around the same time the college admissions scandal, right, bribery right, scandal. Right, for sure. And then this answer was from November of 2018. So a few months ago, six months ago, probably. And, and it, and it's from this guy who, uh, is the director of alumni data and analytics at the Wharton School. Lucky that he should be the, uh, Aquara answerer. Yeah. I was employed by the alumni office at the Wharton School when Trump secured the nomination for the GOP candidacy. Here is what we were instructed, colon. Donald Trump is an alum of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, right? So it didn't say the Wharton School of Business like the other one. He holds an undergraduate degree in business. So maybe he used that other, I don't know. But anyway, I can also confirm that we had electronic, oh, so that was the beginning and end of Wharton's statement. He has an undergrad degree in business. It doesn't even say he has an undergrad degree of business from the Wharton School. Mm -hmm. It just says he is an alum and he has an undergrad degree because I don't think he was, he certainly wasn't there for four years. Anyway, I can also confirm that we had electronic gift records and donations back to the early 1970s. Prior to that, everything was on paper. So this guy probably graduated from college in 76. As a result, no, 70. As a result, I cannot say with any certainty that Fred Trump gave any money to the Wharton School beyond tuition and fees. I can say there is no, quote, Fred Trump building, no, quote, Fred Trump classroom, 
no, quote, Fred Trump professorship at the Wharton School, those are the big ticket items that a gift would be tied to. I can say that by 2015, there was a very strict policy about accepting donations related to, quote, buying your way in or your children's way in. I was actually reprimanded for even suggesting it. Why would he suggest it? This may be a long-winded answer to say, no, there is no particular evidence Fred Trump threw money at Wharton. Yes, Donald Trump did graduate with a degree. <laughs> so, I have a core one that is sim- along the same Donald Trump lines, if you want to hear at least yeah, a yeah. summary of it. Go for it. I took some pictures of this ever since you alerted me to Kiora. I've been opening the emails and actually reading them. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's absurd, the answers. <laughs> yeah. This question was, why does the MAGA hat offend so many people? And there's a long, <laughs> long, long explanation. It has hundreds, like 500 likes and shares or something, maybe more now. But here's the basic summary of it. There's an implication that the MAGA hat is code for saying that somehow under the Obama's America, it lost its greatness. People who don't realize that they have racist thoughts subconsciously agree. I mean, I'm going to read that last one again. People who don't realize that mm-hmm. they have racist thoughts subconsciously agree. They think to themselves that they need a strong white businessman <laughs> to get the country going in the right direction. MAGA is another way to get people to return from considering diversity. It's a way to say you'd better pick leaders who look like wealthy businessmen and forget about women, blacks, Hispanics, and anyone else who doesn't look like Trump. That's the end of the – Yeah, that's complete – that is – they definitely set that whole meme up in advance. That's what it's all meant to be. That's what it's all meant to be. But people who bought into that Make America Great Again – I think we're thinking about the 80s. <laughs> I just do. the audacity of this person to yeah. say, well, these people are – basically, these people are agreeing, but they don't realize it because people who don't realize that they're having these racist thoughts subconsciously yeah. agree. What kind of statement is that? And then yeah. she projects what they think, yeah. that they and think that they need a white businessman to run – who was thinking that? To clarify, I mean the 80s were like very positive and – People were getting rich and the taxes were low. I'm not saying that it was pre-Obama. It was pre-Clinton. It was pre-HW. It was pre-W. It was pre-a lot of stuff. Um, It was whatever, the last golden age guy, I guess. But, yeah, this idea, I remember when Janine Garofalo said that the Republicans who liked Herman Cain were the most racist of all (laughs) because – they were trying to compensate for what complete racist they were. That's ridiculous. Which, of course, you could turn right back at her, right? Right. Like, what? Why is she not? You know, and then and then she could she might turn around and say, "Well, of course, that is true for all white people." And and Jeffrey would have said for his family, it worked in reverse. That is, that you know what I mean. So so are we all? And maybe your guy Laban. Who the crowds and power guy who wrote about ethnicity being the strongest factor in a person's character, which like there's a disclaimer now in that book saying like this book is was written at a certain time. It's offensive, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Maybe he was right. Maybe it is all true. So then so then what? So why? You know what I mean? What? What's the solution? My favorite part about this Kiora answer is that that last part she puts in quotes as though that's what they were 
actually saying to themselves, and the part she put in quotes is, you better pick leaders who are wealthy, who look like wealthy businessmen. Forget about women, blacks, Hispanics, and anyone who doesn't look like Trump. She put that part in quotes as though anybody (laughs) thought that to themselves before they went and voted. I mean, this is absurd. This explains why friends of mine in theater are out of their freaking minds when they talk about Trump. Why do you think Trump, what do you think people were thinking? Like, think back to the campaign. Why do you think they were, thought he was going to make it great again? I think it's probably going to be different for a lot of people. A lot of it's emotional reaction. A lot of it's people like the way that he insults their enemy. I mean, they might give give other explanations. Some people might, but I think that not everyone, but that is definitely an appeal. He's pointing out a problem that they also notice with the media and people lying. And this is just one aspect of it. There's other aspects too. And they're saying, yeah, that's, that's what I would want to say so to when them. was it great? Oh, when was it great? What was I, he hearkening back to that, that people heard who weren't just thinking pre-black president, arbitrary <laughs> dividing line? I, I don't think that there's people that – you know, it never crossed my mind that Trump was hearkening back to a time when America was more racist. But what do you think that. people were thinking? I, I like, don't I don't know. I mean, I'm a libertarian. So if Ron Paul said make it great again, I'd be thinking the 19th century or Warren Harding or Calvin Coolidge. People like people smear Warren Harding. Yeah, because he would he you know, you can never look back to him. So they'd say he was unfaithful and had this baby and all this kind of stuff. So let's talk about Calvin. Coolidge. I, I don't think a lot of people thought back to a specific time i think there was probably more of a yeah back when america was great when when we were more whatever you know when we were more oh so like people projected it yeah because you have to have an understanding of um the history of specific periods to actually think back to a specific period of time yeah yeah yeah. a general feeling is i think what they they harken back i thought it was like uh people think of it like the confederate flag (laughs) like that bad that's what they're, that the other side would project onto it. Yeah, but I mean, he plays into that stuff. He does. But not so much that you can't defend him. Like, people will call into my show and just be like, you can't believe he's a racist. Black people. And I'm like, I don't because <laughs> I think he's an actor. Yeah. And I don't think that's a part of it. But that, but he play. you know, he goes for that ambiguity stuff. So, yeah, good stuff. I want more of that CIA stuff. Yeah, I'll put this document in. The description. I found this document. I was doing research on memes and culture war, and this is one of the things that came up that I found interesting. But there's definitely a lot more documents like this that are just pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's all out there. So let's keep bringing it out. Thank everybody Uh, for listening, and thank everybody who has donated via PayPal or Patreon. We appreciate it. Anybody who wants to uh, help us out, if you find value in the show, you can donate uh, through PayPal, through Patreon. I'll leave links in the description. Or you can just share the show with friends. If there's somebody who you want, you know, maybe you want Monica to try and deprogram them, like she short circuits (laughs) people who call into the show quite often, send them our way. Send trolls our way. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. I like it when they call. It gives me an opportunity to short circuit them. And you do a great job of that. That's some of my favorite moments during the WSB show is when a troll awesome. calls in. Because I've gotten pretty good at spotting a troll pretty quickly. Yes, yes. I, I'm pretty good at it, but you yeah. got the last one faster than I did. We should. You should have a troll bell. I'm telling you. I need to have that troll bell. You right? have to You're have right. the troll bell. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening, and Monica, thank you for your time and insights, and we will talk to you all later. Thank you. Later.